We're going to read from Matthew 25, the parable of the valuable coins. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. He called his servants and handed his possessions over to them. To one he gave five valuable coins, to another he gave two, and to another he gave one. He gave to each servant according to that servant's ability. Then he left on his journey. After the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to, do work, do, or went to work doing business with them. He gained five more. In the same way, the one who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. He said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. His master replied, Excellent, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, and I'll put you in charge of much. Come, celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. I took them and gave two more. His master replied, well done, you are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come and celebrate with me. Now the one who had received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I know that you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was afraid. And I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here you have what's yours. The master replied, You evil and lazy servant, you knew that I harvest grain where I haven't sown, and I gather crops where I haven't spread seed? In that case, should you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned you could give me what belonged to me with interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin and give it to the one who has ten coins. Those who have much will receive more, and they will have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit they have will be taken from them. Now take this worthless servant and throw him outside into the darkness. This week I sent you a letter in the mail, and I told you a story. I'm going to fill in that story for you today. When this church was founded, I think it was right in the 1850s, This area was very rich farmland, and farmers attracted farmers from all over the world, came here for the farmland. And it was a farming community, and then all of a sudden, the city started to grow, and Richfield, like almost overnight, became a suburb. When it was a farmland, there was about 150 people that worshipped in the old sanctuary of this uh, Richfield Methodist Church. But when the suburbs started to move out, that number of 150 almost overnight dropped down to 16, 16 people. There are notes from the conference that says they didn't even know what to do with this place. It was a desperate situation and they were deciding should they close it or not close it. There was no pastor. The people that preached the sermons were um, students from Hamlin University who came out um, occasionally and would uh, lead services on Sunday. To solve this problem, they um, yoked them with a congregation in Litchfield, Minnesota. 
and then they could have a full-time pastor. But even then, Richfield couldn't pay their share of the bill. Just when it was looking its most bleak, a scarlet fever epidemic broke out, and they stopped having services for two months. For two months. A rumor even started to spread that the pastor was considering selling the congregation to the Lutherans. <laughs> who, who would let a Lutheran into this place? Oh my gosh. I don't know, who would that be? That's when Melinda Roberts McCabe decided she had enough. According to Marjorie Doty, she hitched up a team of horses and drove around town raising money for the church. She did this because all the men had lost hope. Because she asked for money, within five years, the congregation was up to 48 people. In another couple of years, it was up to 100. So think for a moment, every good memory that you have from this place, even if that good memory is forged today, every memory that has ever been forged in this place owes itself to Melinda Roberts McCabe. She has left an impact on your hearts that has lasted 112 years. She was powerless. She could not vote um, in a national election. She had no standing even within the Methodist Church. She was powerless, and yet she got people to invest in the most of hopeless situations. Melinda's story reflects the truth about the church, and it is a truth we discount and shut down and avoid all the time. We don't want to ask for money. But I got to tell you something. I've been pastor long enough. We love complaining about not having it. We treat money as dirty, as though pure faith is not about money. But let me tell you something. From the moment that Abraham sacrificed one of his livestock in the wilderness at an altar, faith has always been about money. And do not kid yourself. Jesus, the Redeemer, the Alpha and the Omega, the Emmanuel, God with us, depended on the gifts, the financial gifts of wealthier people to support not only his ministry, but the ministry of the Twelve. They sustained his ministry in the lives of the disciples. So when I ask you for your pledge of support for this congregation, this letter is also coming at a critical time in the life of this church. Will we be guided by hope, determination, and the faith of Melinda McCabe, or will we give in to hopelessness of men? No parable by Jesus speaks better to this situation than this one. Hopeless men see this story as judgment and condemnation. But those who are filled with the spirit of joy, spirit, find joy. Ultimately, the blessing and judgment is determined by us, not God. When I think of this parable, I get the image of my shovel in my head. The shovel is here to remind you when it comes to faith and our wealth and what we do, we're either digging a foundation to build something new or we're digging a pit to bury our treasure. It's just simple as that. And that decision is always going to be in front of us no matter what the condition of our church is. When I first started working in the church, I was like that. I didn't want it to be about the money. 
Anybody that talked about money was kind of a shyster in the church. Even at seminary, the guy that did all the fundraising was kind of a, oh, you don't want to talk to him. It's all about the money for that guy. You know, like there's something less in there. And then I had a transformation of heart. And a transformation came from the absolute worst person I've ever worked for in my life. I just could not stand him. I just could not stand him. But he told me, it taught me a lesson that stayed with me to this day. I was running a camp that was just doing absolutely wonderful things, but was struggling to pay bills. And every single time that we want to try to solve the problems, everything required money. Everything needed money. Every initiative. And so when I was sitting there struggling with this and beating this up and looking for the easy way out, he came up to me and says, hey, listen, Eric, you've got to get it through your head. And this is your lesson number one that this, everybody needs to know. There is no ministry without money, and there is no money without ministry. I looked at that, and I'm like, wow, you're right. And I, in this day, I've always been okay with asking about money because I want to change the world. And to do that, you need money. Everything we do in this church costs money. Every single thing that we do. We had that Halloween pumpkin party the other night. 400 kids flowing in here. It was just absolutely amazing. That event cost a couple thousand dollars. We sit there, and like, it was really fun. Lisa comes out and goes, oh, Pastor Eric, let's go feed the encampment. And right away, there's this cheap version of it. Everybody's going to donate something, and all the time is going to be volunteer, and all this stuff is just going to be free and easy. But eventually you get to the point where we're putting out our plans and the question comes up, who's paying for this? Who's paying for this? And this thing is everything that costs money. If you want to change the world, it's going to cost money. But there's two lessons to this, this phrase. There is everything costs money, but if you're not doing anything with that money, nobody's going to, nobody's going to give it to you. Nobody gives money to put it in a bank account. Everybody, as you sit out there, when you read the news of the day, you want to change the world. We all want to change the world. We want to transform it. So we want to give our things to places that are changing the world. One of the things I sometimes, it gets me the most frustrated about you. You're changing the world, and I don't know if you see it all the time. Those things that we are doing are just having an amazing impact. Let me tell you about it. This last week, we interviewed a new CFC director. As we were interviewing the new CFC director, we invited one of the parents from CFC to be on this interview team. And as we're sitting there doing our interview and we were talking about things, this mother goes off and starts talking about what CFC means to her family. What these community events, from the movies to the pumpkin party to um, the, the community breakfast, what that means to this community. She goes, oh my gosh, this church is just transitioning this whole neighborhood. People just come here from the neighborhood and they get bound together. And, and she goes, I know my kids are going to go to elementary school and, and they're going to have friends because of this church. The three of us who should be the biggest advocates for that church, we sat there with the chin on our, with our chins on the ground. I'm like going, I don't think I've ever said anything that positive in my entire life, and I wanted her to say it again and record it so I wouldn't have to give it to you in a sermon. 
It was absolutely wonderful. We see this time, we see this energy, but these things are taking hold. And you, in this place, are transforming the world. Lesson number two, so I want to talk to you about um, tithing is more productive than fundraising. I brought up this as an example. So the Boy Scouts Noah sold me salted popcorn. And I want you to know, this is a little secret window into Eric Elkin. Eric Elkin cannot say no to caramel corn. Okay? I cannot say no to caramel corn. I cannot say no to buying caramel popcorn. And once it's open, I cannot say no to eating caramel popcorn. Matter of fact, this wonderful woman in a congregation in, in Davenport gave me the best homemade caramel corn ever. And she goes, now, Eric, this is for you and your wife. And I took it, and I ate it all. <laughs> and then my wife came to church and saw her, and she goes, oh, Peggy, how'd you love that popcorn? Caramel corn. She goes, what caramel corn? (laughs) Made a quick exit. Nothing about this caramel corn is good for me. The sugar is not good for my blood pressure, for my weight, for my teeth. There's just a whole list, but I won't stop. Noah sold me this popcorn because he was part of their Boy Scouts thing. And I want to support Noah. But this is what's so terrible about fundraisers. The Boy Scouts only get 30% of this bag of popcorn. And the message all week long that I send to Noah is, you know what, Noah, I will love you as long as there's something in it for me. Right? I'm telling you right now, if you're in an organization, a youth organization, I just want to give you the $20. It costs $20 to buy this popcorn. I just want to give you the $20 because the person that I'm invested in, the person I want to grow is Noah. And I want Noah to know that's how important you are to me. I believe in the Boy Scouts. I think it's a great organization. I know if he's in those Boy Scouts, that's going to bind him into a great relationship with his parents. He's going to be a dynamic young man in the future. I want to invest in Noah because Noah is good. I don't need the popcorn. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I want you to be thinking about this bag of popcorn. We come come to this church and we start to look at our finances. We were supposed to have the silent auction today for the children's ministry, and I put an end to it. I said, no, I put an end to it. What I want you to be thinking about when you're thinking about your giving to this congregation, I want you to be thinking about that caramel corn and $20. I want you just to be thinking, I want to invest into the life of kids. And that gift comes first. And I do not want them earning the free and gracious gift of God's love. I want that to be received to them as a gift. If we want something back from them, let's make that worship and service and community service and doing those kind of things so that they're taking those gifts out into the world. I have been, my very first congregation was in Pennsylvania, and our congregation believed in fundraisers. We did fundraisers for everything, and we always struggled with money. The neighboring congregation outlawed all fundraisers. They just gave out of tithing. They just gave. They didn't just necessarily uh, 10%, but they just gave out of giving to give. They always had more money than they knew what to do with. 
Every congregation that has a tithing spirit is full of abundance and joy. And those that do fundraising are always like the congregation that just struggle with money, no matter what. So when we sit there, and we sit there and we think about this when we come to our gifts, we could talk in big numbers, and the numbers are big. And that's usually what happens when congregations get together. We're going to sit there and go, hey, you know what? We need $600,000, $650,000, and our life will be perfect. You hear that and go, okay, I got $10 for you. <laughs> you know, $600,000, $650,000 is too much. It's too much for anybody to consider. And so sometimes we get lost in that and thinking it's too intimidating. I learned one of the most profound lessons at my first, um, when I was at my first couple years at Camp Shalom. Camp Shalom was a small camp that was starting to take its niche, finding its niche. Um, and uh, when I got there, we had $1,200 of annual support. We probably had maybe 15 people giving to that $1,200. We had a great summer program, and we had this great summer program. The board had convinced themselves that we needed to buy the property next to us to grow. And there was 200 acres over there, and I convinced them that they had a lot of internal stuff to do before that, like building up a support base. So just when I convinced them they didn't need to have that property, the neighbor came over to me and said, Eric, I want to buy that property. And you have three months to get me my money. So we had three months to come up with $500,000. And it was intimidating. And we went out just like Melinda Roberts McCabe. We hitched the horses, and we just went out and telling our story about transformation. And before you know it, in less than 30 days, we came up with $530,000, which was incredible. What was most incredible is the average gift, people decided to give $275 a year, and they made that commitment for three years. $275 a year comes out to about $5.28 a weekend. We had kids that were giving their allowance money to that campaign and fulfilling that pledge. Five dollars. Five dollars. So I took that to my first congregation when I, um, when I was trying, deciding to do a stewardship campaign there, and I said, you know, ask everybody to consider a five dollar increase. If everybody in this congregation, there are roughly 330 members in this congregation, and if 330 people each decided to take their gift and increase it by $5 a week, that would generate about $83,000 of increased income here. So the challenge is to not be thinking of this as individuals, but as a community that we bind ourselves into this community and that we see this place as something that's just valuable because it is, precious because it is. And I guarantee you, this sermon, this parable of Jesus will make so much sense to you when you've gone through and gone and, and raised that kind of money. You'll understand by taking those money and taking that risk and moving out and going out into the world, it's just an overwhelming sense of joy. It's so much more colorful than, than you can even imagine. There's an unspoken question hidden in this parable and in this sermon. 
It's the question of, does God reward the faithful? It always comes up in, the, in, in theological, does God reward the faithful? My answer to that always is, I don't know, but there's a lot of reward in faithful behavior. Because if, if everybody is faithful to the mission, if everybody's faithful to mission, we're not arguing how to pay bills. We're dreaming about the next thing to invest into. And that is a place of ever, ever growing joy. So I'm going to leave this shovel here and, and ask you, well, I'll move it out of the way so you don't trip on it with the bells. But I'm going to leave this shovel here and to be thinking about, are we as a people going to build a found, dig for a foundation or dig a pit to hide our money and let that move over your heart this week? Amen. Thank you.